Hey, welcome everybody to the Earful of Dirt podcast. My name is Liam Poach. Join with me as always. I got Craig Gradelli. You can f- find him at Monday Morning Fly Half on Twitter. He's coming to us from New York. And then we got James Dealey. You can find him at, at Jam. D- uh, so, sorry, is that how you pronounce your last name, James? Dealey is how you pronounce it, but yeah, that's uh, my, right. my Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so at, at, at Jam Delay, as it's spelled on Twitter, so make sure you, uh, you find him. Uh, so we are here. The final week of MLR has come and gone. Uh, we have new champions. Los Angeles are the new uh, non first non-Seattle winners of the MLR Shield. They took that game 31-17 to over Rugby ATL, who were wrapping up their first ever full season in Major League Rugby uh, due to the pandemic canceling last season guys how are you doing what did you think of the game let's talk about it well i'm doing great liam uh good to have good to see you again i hope your arm is all right uh that was not back. i yeah, appreciate so- the energetic intro here um yeah cave, cave diving and or not cave diving cave exploring in tahoe takes its toll <laughs> um i mean i you know i thought it was entertaining especially the first half not not quite as as exciting as the semifinals, you know, it was, it was a bit anticlimactic, but I thought a very, for, uh, for rugby aficionados, a very impressive performance by LA. Uh, so, you know, you can kind of admire the the beauty of their work of art here in, in the finals. Yeah, definitely. I'll agree with, uh, with Craig and that it was when, when the semifinals, both, both of those semifinal games uh, were, were happening, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is shaping up to be such a, you know, Clash of the Titans kind of final. And it didn't kind of turn out that way. Um, you know, like the, the semifinals were both the lowest scoring playoff games ever in MLR history. And then the final was not. Um, but, I mean, what a venue to have it. What a venue to have it at, um, you know, to put Major League Rugby on, on this, you know, pedestal and to display it. The LA Coliseum was absolutely fantastic for that. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as I give hate to his uh, choice in branding, I think the MLR does owe a lot of thanks to Adam Gilchrist, uh, you know, and his ability to market this game, market the L- um, the, like the Los Angeles team. And, and you're right. What a spectacle. What a, you know, a kind of a marvelous place to have it in the LA Coliseum, a place that carries not, not so much – just not so much just history for Los Angeles in general, but for United States sports in general. Um, you know, definitely a sy- symbolic gesture in that. Um, as far as as far as the games went, you guys mentioned how you know it, or at least Craig mentioned it was a little bit anticlimactic. Do you guys think the physical nature of the semifinals probably had a hand in slowing down uh, the this championship final, uh, especially when it came to the trenches? You know, I'll say in my sh- little spiel about the game later that. I felt like this game, LA played a lot of this game in the middle of the pitch, and I felt like it was sort of a, um, not so much a tactical decision, but just something to make sure that they didn't run out of gas come, uh, you know, come the second half. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think, I, I think Atlanta certainly tried to be physical at the outset. You know, the first twenty minutes, I think, you know, went more or less along the the script that Atlanta would have wanted. Yeah, they had that first big mall stop right in the first couple minutes uh, where, where LA were attacking, you know, inside the five there. Um, I, I, you know, was it fatigue or did they wear down? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, honestly, I feel like more than anything to me, it, it, I think it, LA had two phenomenal plays to score two quick tries. 
and that put Atlanta on the back foot, and they just didn't know what to do. I mean, they, they're not a, a rapidly scoring team by design. Uh, so playing that kind of catch-up mode, especially without Adrian Carlsa, who I think has been their most effective attacking player, I just think they were kind of lost. I mean, they were they were having some very strange kicking decisions. Uh, they just they looked like they didn't realize the score. I, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what was going through their minds, but they were just offering these really low probability, you know, kicks or just kicking away possession without a, a, a meaningful kick chase, uh, opening up to counterattacks. I, I think they just they didn't know what to do when they fell down by you know, 14 points or whatever it was, 12 points. Um, and then they struggled to come back from there. The, the physicality didn't matter then because they were so focused on trying to think of a way to score that they just dropped their entire normal style of play, which is this crashing line speed defense. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. You're, you're right. They kept it kind of, they, you know, they played their own game for the first 20 or so. You know, Craig, you mentioned they had that, that more... Uh, win or stop um, and then it was really just one or two moments of brilliance you know Gitto with that fantastic offload to Ryberg for that first try I mean you can't prepare to stop things like that that's just a great player with vast international experience just doing what he does and then you know you know that kind of shook Atlanta I think and then you know straight off the bat bam another one kind of what a minute or two later um, and I think Donnie they were just Ryberg. <laughs> yeah what I mean, a man! What a Mitchell, player! Right? I mean, he, I mean, he, yeah, Ryberg, especially in the second one. I mean, was the beneficiary of some fantastic play that ended in his hands right before well, he the try. But uh, well, the one one was from Gitto, and one was from Adam Ashley Cooper. Like, well, yeah, but in the second <laughs> one, that kick. I mean, it was Gitto's kick that started that. Oh, whole Gitto's play. kick to to Adam Ashley Cooper. You're right. <laughs> I don't I mean, even know how to describe. Like, when I was writing my column and I was trying to describe that kick, I didn't even know what terms to use. It was such an odd. It was like a dagger, like off, you know, a faded dagger of a crossfield yeah. kick. Uh, and yet, and they were and over. Like, I, I didn't even know what, what words to use. It was such a uniquely athletic and brilliant <laughs> play by Gitto. And yeah, Adam Ashley Cooper caught the kick and offloaded and, and so on until uh, Ryberg eventually dotted down. Yeah, these guys, they can just read exactly what they're planning regardless. You know, Adam Ashley Cooper knew exactly what Gitto was going to do, even if nobody else did. And I mean, that's what I guess that's what you get when you get these two Australian, these two Wallabies legends that are playing for, um, in, you know, in the same team. And um, I think those those two tries both finished by the same man, John Ryberg, who um, incidentally, that was his 24th and 25th MLR try. Uh, so he's now joint first. Um, nice. I think that it just shell shot rugby ATL and they did not know what to do. They started... Like you said, Craig, it seemed like they were kind of listing. They didn't really know what, you know, it kind of, they abandoned their game plan because they were thought, well, you know, well, what can we do to, to fight this? We're playing our game and they've just done that to us. You know, even though they didn't last time, they, ATL played LA. We know what happened. ATL won, right? Um, I think they it just kind of rattled them and they had no response, really. Did you, Liam, perceive a... a, a- uh, hangover from the physicality of last week is that what, what prompted this question absolutely um you know i i felt like la you know i i felt like utah really gave everything that they possibly could in that in that semifinal match i think they were pretty hyped from having been able to defeat la in the final week of the regular season 
And it, it made me concerned because if you know if Utah had been able to win that match out, I think Atlanta's chances um, would have gone much higher. Not just because Utah's you know not LA, but because I think Utah you know really put their bodies on the line in order to try to eke out that victory over LA. And you know, uh, but at the, but at the same time, I think LA was prepared uh, for for that kind of game. Uh, they definitely gave some rest to some of their veterans. Um, you know, or at least in terms of playing time, I think they foresaw a victory over Utah. Um, but yeah, they, it is it is what prompted the question because I felt like you know I, I thought LA's depth wasn't going to be as prepared physically. Um, you know, a- after that game with Utah, and um, you know I was going to mention this when you look at the when you look at the bench that Atlanta had, they had people like Connor Cook, Robbie Petzer, Chance Wingleski. Those are guys who I really wouldn't mind starting a game, um, you know, if I saw them in the first 15. So I thought that that's where Atlanta might have had, you know, a slight uh, edge into victory is the, is that second half, um, you know, uh, time period where people are starting to come off the bench because I felt like L.A. might have been a little depleted from the last, uh, you know, not just week, um, you know, against Utah, but that previous week against Utah. It's, you know, two straight games against, you know, one, a top five team in the league. Um but obviously, it didn't play out that play out that way. Um, I was saying, you know, before we went on the air, I felt like this game was a tad bit boring because I felt like a lot of it was played in the middle of the pitch. I think LA, um, you know, to begin the match, kind of took a conservative approach um, with, with the way that they were moving the ball, or at least in terms of, you know, um, you know, like outside of, of course, like you know, like the great uh, plays by <laughs> Ashley Cooper and uh, Guito, uh, you know, to set to set Johnny Ryberg up with the tries. Um, but I just felt like the pace was really slow. I thought I felt like there was a lot of start stop, and I just, you know, I, I think that may have been the result of each of these teams having a, you know, a pretty difficult um, last pair of weeks to end the season with Atlanta, you know, losing to New England in the final week of the season as well, and what was a pretty physical match. Um, yeah, so th- this game moved really slowly for me, but at the same time, um, you guys were talking about some of the great passing, the great chemistry between Guito and Adam Ashley Cooper. And we, we've talked before about LA having that extra time out in Hawaii underneath the bubble to gain that chemistry. And I think, you know, right up to the end, we saw that come into effect and, you know, be, be you know, bear fruit in the form of the championship shield. And I, I also, I mean, I agree with that, but and I also think though that a lot of the playing in the middle of the field, especially for LA, was also a result of the of the what I still think it was very odd kick choices. I mean, Atlanta were were kicking to LA from places where they couldn't kick it, where they didn't have, they were so far back and under pressure they couldn't get the ball past the middle of the field, and they didn't have a, a kick chase, so they were giving LA counterattacks in the middle of the field all the time and their defense had to come up and their defense was pretty good, obviously. So they were able to at least slow down LA for long portions. But I, I think that led to a lot of play in the middle of fields because there was really nothing they could do, but kick the ball as soon as they got it right back to LA and then defend for 10 minutes. And know what? And that really back to LA defend for 10 minutes. I know what that really hurt, um, you know, Atlanta in the sense that their lineout was working, you know, for the most, for the most part, they were able to get that, um, they were able to get that try off a of mall. It's just the fact that that wasn't an option because they weren't able to play in Atlanta and in, 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 sorry, in, in Los Angeles's half of the field. So they couldn't utilize that as, you know, a method of attack. They were, you know, playing out of their own end time and time again, eventually towards the second half, I was just like, dude, just go for it. You know, quit uh, enough, you nothing to thinking. lose. Right. At yeah, this exactly. Of the Run the patterns, man. See what happens. I think the, the, um, the weirdest play. Oh, sorry, go ahead, James. No, I was thinking like 
you could see from again the first kind of 10 or 20 minutes when Atlanta were really holding their own um they were kicking for territory and I think that is the only part of their the game plan that stuck through the 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 Ryberg blitz as it were was just kick it for territory even if you're in your own 22 which isn't kicking for territory it's panicking um and you know I think that that's why you know they, they stuck to kicking for territory it did not did not work out and LA were better at playing for territory, at least on the day. And they, I think I saw, I think it was Scott Ferreira actually said this and the LA out Atlanta, Atlanta in that. <laughs> they did. Yeah. It was very strange to say, I don't know. I didn't see that, that comments. I don't know if this is what he meant, but I, I thought a similar thing with regards to like brutality around the ruck. I mean that, that yeah, I think the way we've seen teams beat LA has been to get at the ruck, disrupt them, be more physical, win that point of contact, really slow the ball down, that sort of thing. But by the second half, Atlanta, it was happening to them because it's like their entire focus came around to be, what can we do in attack here? And they just weren't even defending their own rucks. I mean, it was really surprising, I, I thought, and, and a bit disappointing if you're an Atlanta supporter. Did we um, have any um, straight-up uh, poach steals? Um, it, yeah, it had yeah. several. It had some of this counter rucked Atlanta right off the ball. It wasn't even like a, you know, I mean, I guess it you wasn't chuckling. It was just out out rucked. Yeah, they, they like counter rucked a turnover by just pushing. Yeah, you know, there was one point where like a, an Atlanta ball carriers on the ground, and ten seconds must have passed, and nobody came. And LA was like, "All right, I guess we'll take it." You know, I mean, it was that sort of thing. Um, the, the the Cam Dolan, if you will. Just, yeah. If nobody's gonna take <laughs> yeah. the ball, man. Like. <laughs> yeah, and you with a Scott Lawrence coach team, you just don't expect to see that that kind of mental lapse. But again, I just think by that point they were so out of their game plan that they were scrambling. Uh, it was kind of directionless uh, what they were doing. But I, I mean, I think, I think the weirdest play, which was just so typical of especially the second half, was you know. Kurt Coleman got the ball. I forget exactly how. It looked like he was going to kick it, which he had been kicking first phase half the time already. Um, it looked like he was going to kick first phase again. But then Batista Oscura came in like a switch line, and he looked like he was going to kick it, and then he offloaded to Oscura. Like, okay, they're doing something here. They got some sort of drawn-up attack. And then Oscura just took two steps, and then he kicked it. Uh, it was like, well, what was even the point of that? And he kicked it right to – an LA awaiting LA player at his own 22, no kick chase. The guy ran back past midfield before he even saw a gray jersey on the screen again. It was like, well, just what are they doing? It, it just seemed really, really uh, rudderless. It's the only word I can use to describe it. Yeah, no, I don't know if uh, I haven't heard anything about it, but Adrian Carl say, uh, where is he? It's very like Kurt Coleman. I'm not sure how many games he's played. He's only played a handful of games this season. To start him in the the championship game, Carl say must be injured unless he's in a similar situation to Dan Holland said. And he's you know Dan Holland said went back to New Zealand to fulfil something in his contract. I think a mighty ten contract. Um, unless it's something like that with Carl say in South Africa, I have no idea. But if he's available to play, why wouldn't you play him? So that's surely he's not. Surely he's injured. Yeah. 
I agree. It's, I, I assume he must be injured, but if not, it must be something like you said. He's got a. He must have been called to some other rugby. It's just an interesting choice somewhere else in the world. Me. Because, because also, you know, often when it is something for personal reasons, the team will come out right and say it. Um, you know, he he's missing time for personal reasons because they don't want to, you know, allow the whole injury rumor mill to start up. So. Yeah, in the semifinals when he was missing, I made the joke on the pod a few weeks ago that I had him tied up in the basement. Uh, <laughs> right. in New York. Uh, that was a joke. I don't have him tied up in the basement, and I don't know where he's he buried in the swamp out in Queens. They needed him. <laughs> they definitely needed him because I don't. I don't particularly like the score as a ten either. I mean, he, he's probably played ten the most this year. Um, but he to me also is like a very indiscriminate kicker. He just. Every time he gets the ball, he seems to want to do some kind of fancy kick, regardless of like if that was the best option. You know, Connor Murphy, he's a, he's a Hail Mary kicker every time he gets the ball. Uh, so I, I, I think I, I think I even mentioned this last week. I thought we might see Coleman start, but I agree. I mean, he hasn't played much, um, and he didn't have, he didn't have any ideas against LA. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I was told before we came on the show that James, uh, you were bringing through some of the stats uh, that were a little bit more advanced than what MLR has been giving us on their website. Uh, not to say that we don't appreciate that MLR, please by all means, just make sure that they're updated every now and again. Uh, <laughs> definitely threw off some of the averages on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I I've got to. I'll preface this by saying I don't use anything any of the MLR official stats. Uh, this is a, a a bored lockdown project of mine after the 2020 season was cancelled was to just, well, let's go through this and see if I can just make something. So, you know, it, someone other than me might find this interesting. So why not do it and try it? Um, so, you know, I went back all the way to 2018 and worked through every single game, putting together, you know, appearances, scoring titles uh, for both the team and uh, the league as a whole. So, you know, I've got top scoring for the team and then I've got top 10 or 15 or 20 for, for the league. Um, so I put oh together my. some, it is a lot of work, but I had plenty of time to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I put together some, some of them that are fairly interesting regarding, you know, both, both teams and both, uh, and individuals, sorry. Um, just some of them were kind of standout ones for this season. Um, so, you know, I've got quite a few around, uh, LA cause they were quite a, quite a uh, headline for this season and obviously the champions. So, um, the first one, which kind of relates to, to the championship game more than many, is that they are the first team to finish the regular season in first and win the Shield. No one's done that before. Seattle was second going into the playoffs both times. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I believe it was Glendale in first place in year one, and then San Diego. San Diego, San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. yeah. yeah. Um, and... I mean, they they did it by quite in quite a way. They had the highest di points differential in MLR history right now, uh, plus two hundred and fifty-eight. I'm shocked. Next <laughs> next up is Atlanta, actually, rather fittingly, and they are on plus ninety-nine. So it's not close, not close at all. And uh, you know, they only have one player in the top ten point scorers. And that's because uh, that's Matt Gitto who scored 13 points on Sunday. And, um, and just to clarify, these these statistics are taking into account the COVID abbreviated season. Yeah, they've got the five games from 2020. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so they have one player in the top 10 uh, point scorers. That's Matt Gitto on 96 in total, just missing out on the on the 100 there. But yeah, yeah, uh, Matt, Matt Gitto, he had, uh, I have it right here, he had 35 conversions um, yeah, this, let me... this season. And so I, and that was actually one thing I did want to mention about this game is I, I thought it was good on L.A. to go for those three penalty goals, um, you know, when, when they dropped those 16 unanswered points on Atlanta uh, in the second half, because I think not only was, you know, not only was it psychological, just, you know, putting the beating on Atlanta, they made sure that that score, that there was always that cushion that was growing and growing and growing, you know, so that eventually like, you know, after two penalty conversions, you know, one try is not going to kill them, but after three, and then after the, uh, after the final try in which some great tight window passing there on the outside, that's when, People watching at home, I think that, that that was the final nail in the coffin, though, was those extra nine points that they got there in the second half. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll always take the points, guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was screaming it for the uh, the second test of the Lions series, I tell you, but um, it didn't go that way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's LA have not taken the points at all. I've got it right here. They've, ki- they've kicked 13 penalties all season. That's, That's just hubris. That's and, just yeah. hubris, guillotinis. Sure is. It's 57 conversions. <laughs> <laughs> and um, actually, I've got right a thing right here somewhere saying that, yep, they LA scored 85 tries, including the six they scored in the playoffs, which is 12.5% of all MLR tries are LA. It's, if you were to uh, even it out, it should be about 8% per team. So it, it would be... Uh, Who's a DTH? Who's the uh, league leader right now? I think he's got like what eight, nine tries on on the season. There's a, there's a three-way tie for first, actually, and uh, only two of those are Guiltinis. Um, so it's Angus Cottrell, mm. uh, DTH, and Sama Malolo of Utah. Hooker from Utah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, the, that's all those malls that Utah was able to run in. Yeah. Though that's the, the, the those hookers, man. They I don't want to call them free points. I'm just saying they're, you know, helped out points. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, John Ryberg scored his 24th and 25th. He's yeah. a winger. He's tied for first with Dylan Fawcett, yeah. a hooker from New York. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I will, you know, I, I realize James is, has his own stats. I probably believe your stats better than the official ones, though the official stats have somewhat different answers here. It's ballpark stuff. I guess the shocking one is that, Bjorn Bassan from San Diego is also having 10 tries. That doesn't seem right. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is. So, um, yeah, Angus Cottrell, DTH Van der and Sam Abololo have 11. They're all first place. Bjorn Bassan does have 10. Oh, all right. Well, they're, they're <laughs> missing then some tries for Angus Cottrell and Simon Lolo. Dylan, but, um, I, I think there. I think James said that his stats were including playoffs. I'm not sure if um, – if the, if the MLR website is uh, including those. Also, I've had issues with the MLR website not being updated before, as people have called me out in private messages before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why I don't really know. Know, I suppose. But yeah, I, in any case, I believe James's stats here. So yeah, Sam Malolo, great year. But yeah, insane year for, for LA. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, my God, I've got loads of these. I can keep going all day. So the <laughs> the... The championship game, 31-17, that was the, the largest points difference for a playoff game in MLR history, where 14. Twice, 
there's been 13 points differences, and that was Seattle versus Toronto in 2019 and Colorado versus Utah. They were Colorado in 2018, so got to get that right. Would you guys would would you guys agree in saying that you know it was 14 points, but the game really wasn't even that close? No, it wasn't that close. Yeah, exactly. So, take away one was a consolation try with two minutes to go, right? It was exactly, 21 points before that. Exactly. I remember looking up some of the stats on um you know on, on the MLR app, which everybody should totally go get from the Google Play Store. Um, but I was look I was looking up some stats on it and. It, it listed Atlanta at having of having played forty five percent territory, and I was like bullshit. And so I, I watched a little bit of the end of the game, and th- those final you know six to seven minutes in which Atlanta was able to kind of make that final push towards the consolation try, they spent you know a good a good deal of that time in LA territory, sort of just you know gradually working their way um, you know up to the end goal. And so I was like, all right, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of inflation to that number because I'm sure that number was probably closer to forty yeah. um, percent. In the first 40%. twenty minutes, I think they played a lot in, on LA's side. I mean, they had them they had them pressed back there for quite a time at the beginning. It was really only it was until the really bad decisions break. and kicking started. I, I felt like a good three quarters of the game, they was either middle of the pitch or deep in Atlanta's own territory. Wow. After that first quarter water break, things really. Uh, yeah, away from Atlanta. Yeah, and I, I think as you, uh, one of you guys said before, Atlanta plays a little bit of a slower game, a little bit more of a you know concise, um, you know kind of kind of approach to the game. And I think playing off the back foot, especially after those two Ryberg tries, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that got them out of, out of the flow of their game plan. Um, you know, was just kind of having to play off style and having to play more reactionary rugby rugby as opposed to what they were going and planning to do. Um, and th- th- I think that that's what led to that, you know, large 14 point deficit that, you know, despite Atlanta having one of the best seasons in MLR history, uh, you know, maybe James, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's kind of how it had to end. Yeah. They did have one of the best seasons. They were 11 and five. That's an incredible, uh, uh, incredible record, but unfortunately LA had a better record. Yeah, by one game. 12 and four. Yeah, 12 and four. It wasn't as it's bright like as it is. Sosa broke the 61 home run record, but Maguire broke it by more. <laughs> Actually, I've got something just like that. You know, like this season, we had the lowest scoring MLR game in history. That was a Nola eight, Atlanta, actually, 8 uh, 7. So that was 15 points in total. But we also had the largest winning margin broken twice. So we had. Um, Toronto during one of the three games they just destroyed everyone. Uh, Fifty-two seven versus Seattle. That was forty-five points. The previous record was forty-two. And then LA against uh, Houston, fifty-two five and forty-seven points. So you know, although there is a skew towards lower scoring, tighter games, that isn't always the case. Still, well, it definitely speaks you know to the level of parity that's in you know Major League Rugby. Uh, you know, I, I think, but I, I also think we saw a lot more of those. Would, uh, would you say we saw more of the lower scoring games in the Eastern Division as opposed to the Western Division? Because I felt like, you know, just the presence of Houston and Seattle probably skewed the, you know, the, the average deviation uh, b- b- between uh, score lines in that. Yeah, I think you're right. There was what uh, there was a couple of weeks kind of in the middle of the season where the Eastern Conference was separated by. A handful of points, three or four, well, sorry, probably more like five or six points from first to sixth. Um, even Toronto, who, you know, I love them. They're my team. But, um, you know, they finished bottom, but they 
they weren't getting blown out like like Houston was. Like Seattle was at the start of the season. At the end of the season, they did come back a little. But um, I would say easily the tighter games came from the Eastern Conference or the tighter games generally included an Eastern Conference team or two. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of the reasons why, you know, middle of the season, I just wasn't believing the LA hype. And I, you know, I was looking at like the competitive nature of the Eastern Conference. And I was like, this is where the MLR champion has to come out of, you know, iron sharpens iron, uh, you know, as they say. And meanwhile, LA was just bashing through, you know, uh, you know, like people like Seattle, like Houston, San Diego had a really rough start to the season. Utah, you know, what w- Utah was pretty good. Austin was pretty good. Like, you know, not amazing. Uh, I felt like there was, you know, I saw six wins there from Houston, Seattle and San Diego that were just kind of given to LA, um, you know, in, in essence. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, no, I agree. Win this, this final, I, I felt pretty good about that pick too. Uh, so it shows what I know, but I, I thought Eastern Conference was so tough and LA was 0-3 against the top three teams in the East. Uh, so I was I was actually expecting LA to lose, but uh, yeah, Gitto, Gitto pulled one out for uh, his grand finale. Yeah, and maybe, well, maybe if it's his grand finale. <laughs> it's dad, definitely out of Ashley Cooper's. We know that, but... You know, yeah. hopefully not for Gitto. We'll see what what's his store. We'll see. You know what? That's one of the things uh, we were talking about the MLR draft in the emails a little earlier, and I've said this on the show before that you know, considering you know, uh, LA has a lot of people with you know experience from from Australia, just from, from like the South Pacific in general. They're one of the older teams, I think, on average in the in the league. Um, so like coming up is is LA's first draft going to be you know crucial in that aspect just to make sure that guys like Gito, guys like Ashley Cooper, you know, can step down and be replaced. Cause you know, they, they don't, they don't have any kind of longstanding Academy system already in place. Although from, from what I've heard that they've made, made good strides in terms of getting the foundation set there. Um, but, you know, as this new era of American rugby begins to ramp up, um, you know, this, this draft might be pretty, is, is going to become pretty important for getting some of the top tier collegiate um, talent and LA. While it's definitely a, you know, an attractive city, it's an attractive team to play for. It's one of the most expensive teams uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to, to play for because of how much it costs to live in Southern California. So getting some of these college kids, um, you know, in, in, like into team housing when they're younger and without families is going to be crucial in terms of building um, you know, a, a base for this team. So what, so what do you guys think like heading into this off season for LA, um, you know, looking to make sure that they can, you know, pull off a repeat? Uh, well, for me, I mean, I, I think, look, I, I think the draft is cool. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting and interesting and it's going to grow in popularity and importance as time goes on. That said for me, honestly, right now, I don't, I don't think any team is really going to be shaped by the draft. I mean, what, what do we have? Three rounds. I mean, they're getting three players total. I've heard four rounds with the possibility of five. Depends on how many people uh, declare by the ninth. All right, so four rounds, and I think you know, out of last year, you know, I, I, as I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any second or third round player that made a dramatic impact. I mean, Spencer most- Kruger for the New England Free Jacks. Um, you know, he turned into, uh, you know, some pretty valuable depth. Um, you know, the, the New England scrum 
definitely had some struggles uh, this season, but he proved to be a more than capable, um, you know, sub coming in off the bench at the hooker spot. He's very athletic, like with, with the ball in hand. He's a big kid. He has the, you know, the potential to carry a really large frame with him. So well, I mean, you're talking about a person who's not even a starter. So, I mean, look, I, again, I think the draft is cool. I just, I don't think any team is rearming through the draft. I think free agent signings are still, by far the primary way that teams are shaped. So I think they're going to have to go out there and sign some folks. And they and they have some young players who are pretty good. I, I love Ryan James. I think he's very excited. I think he's going to be a, a great international player. Obviously, they have Ryberg, they have Luke Carty, you know, fly, you know USA cap fly half. So they have some they have some pretty young uh, folks that could stick around. But I think, you know, they'll have the last pick, I assume, in, in this draft in the, in the first round. So – Maybe they'll get a player who can contribute, but I, I think largely they're going to need to to replace whoever they lose to the free agent market. Is my sense. Mm-hmm. I uh, I agree with with you, Craig. I know I've been doing it a lot, but uh, I do. Um, I think there's I think there's only been two trades involving picks, and they've been pretty pretty quick after you know this whole thing was was announced. It was kind of like I don't want my pick. I'd rather have you know a known quantity, someone I know, than what I've heard for other draft, you know, like the NHL draft, I've heard magic beans. You don't know what it is. It's it's the Sean McVay effect. It's like, I don't care about drafts. Give me people that I know who I can put tape on. Pretty much. You know, there's been, there's, I, I, I'd argue there's been two kind of standouts from the draft and that would be Connor Mooneyham and Andrew Guerra for, for New Orleans. I was really, really disappointed when um, Mooneyham got injured. I was hoping to see, well, I was looking forward to seeing him play for the, for the U S um, during their tour against England and Wales, but um, you know, not to be. I'm sure he'll he'll um, he'll be in the team before too long again. Um, but you know, those I've got some stats here actually about the draft, and only what 41% of the draft class from 2020 made five or more appearances, and only 16% made five or more starts. I don't. I just. I don't think that that teams are valuing uh, the draft. You know, they're not. They're not basing their they're not structuring their team around the draft class. They're they're using that to supplement their known quantities, who they know, um, and and everything like that. You know, I know Toronto are basing their their team around Canadian players and Canadian talent, although they do have a fairly large Uruguayan contingent um, as well as a couple of Argentinians, but they are primarily Canadian. I think they've they've had one American represent them, and that was when I think it was. Luke Schlotman had to slide in from Rugby ATL just to fill an injury spot. Uh, thankfully, there's now Canadian athletes that um, are eligible for the draft. And as is Toronto, they they didn't take place in 2020. But, you know, with that, that raises a whole can of worms about, well, are Canadian athletes only eligible for Toronto? What's the deal with visas? All kinds of, you know, I don't want to get into any of that, but... I just, to echo what Craig said, I don't think that teams structure themselves around their draft picks. Yeah, for sure. And like, like I said, you know, it's a new era in American rugby. I think teams are still kind of feeling out the process and seeing where these draft pack, where these draft picks can kind of fit in. And you know, it, it, it early in its early stages, I think it might lead to more, you know, uh, it, uh, might lead to being a bit bigger benefit for academy systems. Uh, you know, in terms of getting mm-hmm. rights to collegiate players. Um, you know, possibly like while they're still in school, if they reevaluate, um, you know, like maybe like more MLB style draft with a, you know, with a high school draft versus a collegiate, uh, collegiate draft. Um, 
I, I, I think it's wicked interesting just because I'm an NFL draft junkie. I follow it every single year very closely. So I'm excited for MLR to, it, I think it's a good assimilation into American culture. Yeah, um, totally. I think it's a yeah. great, you know, bit of, um, you know, media. I think it's entertaining. I think it, I'm fascinated to learn about the players and uh, I, I think it's exciting as a fan, you know, as a, as a Rooney fan to see who we're going to draft. Um, so, I mean, I, I like I'm, – I'm pro-draft. I'm, I'm all for it. I just – you know, to your specific question, I don't, I don't think the draft is going to be the answer for LA. Mm-hmm. Like, like just building on what you said there, Craig, about, you know, you love, you love watching it. It's a, it's a big kind of event. I do hope that they do go full out on this draft. I know – well, I didn't actually watch the 2020 draft, but from what I've heard, it wasn't particularly interesting it wasn't a great watch i hope they do go we're available as color commentators yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly Needs you know I hope, I hope they do they add to the experience of the of the draft um obviously i'm not not from the the uh the americas i i'm very new to a draft system in oh, general really? oh really yeah <laughs> i know shocker right I'm, I'm new to a draft system um so you know it's, it's something very new to me it's quite exciting because it's new um so you know I'm not against the draft either. No, I, I think it's great. I just don't think it's it's the the bread and butter for MLR teams yet. Mm-hmm. Who knows? In ten years, five years, ten years, it might be for sure. Yeah, no, and 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 like I said, I think it's going to be more beneficial to academy systems earlier on than it is going to be to any actual like uh, rosters. Um, you know, or at least you know immediately. So, so looking at next year, is it is it safe to say that? I mean, I would think odds makers would say that the initial favorites to win each conference are still the finalists here. So, like, LA would be the favorites to win the West, Atlanta would be the favorites to win the East. Is that true? Like, would, would we make that assumption now, you know, a few days after the final? Or are there – do we have other takes? Let's put it that way. So, the, the thing about a championship-winning team – just like with the NBA is some of your star players are always likely to get re- to sign elsewhere because other teams just kind of want to poach from them. You know, you already have the possibility of Gitu and Ashley Cooper, um, you know, leaving the team. Plus there's other people, you know, uh, I don't know what Ryberg's contract situation is, but there's plenty of teams that definitely need to have a power wing, uh, you know, in, in their arsenal. Um, I think Nola is, is one of those teams that, I don't want to say they're the, they're the favorite, but I almost like them better than Rugby United New York. Um, you know, uh, to, to uh, you know to go to go to the playoffs next year um, is a po- uh, no no offense, Craig. I mean, well, a little bit of offense because I hate New York, but yeah, I, I, I think that's just your own your own internal thing talking there. Seriously, I, although I think New York finished with fifty three table points, uh, Nola finished with fifty one. Um, you know, it was uh, just you know a, a bad turn of events. They they beat New York in that final game. They just didn't beat them by enough points. Uh, so yeah, they beat them twice. I picked yeah. Nola as my winner preseason this year. Uh, yeah, they have such great continuity, such a great coaching staff, a lot of good stuff. They had a lot of fans too. I was impressed by how big of a Nola traveling contingent they had in New York for that final mm-hmm. game. They must have had. 50 fans. I mean, it was pretty, yeah, pretty good turnout for such a big trip. And um, as for the West, I think Utah would be my favorite just because I think they have a better chance for 
more across the board retention of their players. Wow. Uh, so you're you're saying neither LA nor Atlanta. No, no, no I'm really gonna roll the dice. Houston Saber Cats to win the West next <laughs> yeah. season, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> that, would be, year, that would be a turnout. Oh yeah. Sam James. Windsor scores every single point for the team. Just well, every it's, single <laughs> it's not going there. He's got ten times as many points as the next guy. <laughs> yeah, um, tell, tell tell me who who are the, the top Scorers in MLR history. In MLR history, I could tell you. Uh, give me one second. It's got to be Windsor. Well, I mean, no, no, Windsor's it, for sure. It's Sam one. Windsor is top. Yeah, yeah. four hundred and thirty-two all regular season. Would you want top three, top five? Let's top say, five. Like, give me give me a chance to guess here. Who's let's see okay. who guess who number two is? Uh, I am gonna say number two. Is He's Kurt not Morath playing right now. now. He's not playing right now. Kurt Morath. No. Currently is playing on Austin. Uh, it's got to be somebody from either Glendale or Seattle. Uh, oh, um, who was kicking penalties for Seattle those first two seasons? I feel like – is Turner – is Matt Turner back, out there? Was it? Well, Matt Turner's not a kicker primarily. Oh, oh uh, Brock Staller, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brock Staller is who I was thinking of. There we Brock go. Brock Staller's second, yeah. Right. 294 points in the regular season, 313 including playoffs. So he's 120 behind Sam Windsor. Okay. And third, and yes, third. Number three. Uh, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> number three. Bodine Walker at, at least number five. <laughs> no way. Bodine Walker is 15th. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> I mean, it's has got to be people from the original six teams. I mean, who, yeah. who? Like, I'm trying to think on Nola, who's been around. But they, they've had different people kicking all all three years. Oh, uh, JP, is J, J, is JP up there? He's fifth. Fifth. All right, sweet. <laughs> he's on 208, so he's I a long way back who, as well. <laughs> who's number uh, three? I don't. I can't. I don't know. Number three is Joe Peterson, San Diego. Uh, Okay, still kicking, I, still going. And I, then Joel, fourth, I, I was thinking JP Duplessis, but I was like, wait a second. He doesn't freaking kick. It was Joe Peterson that... JP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then well, um, Sam Malcolm is fourth. I've just got to put that out there because, you know, Toronto fan. And he yeah. came back and he scored his first try because I've got to do that. Beautiful. So not, not, an, not an American. Actually, well, American eligible is fifth, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And Dylan Force is 12th. Just we don't kick in the U.S. That's the problem. Who, even the, the last even two USA wingers, like, none of them can kick. You know, if you were born in the U.S., you just do not know how to kick a ball. I mean, wait, wait, where was Will, Will, Will uh, McGee uh, born? Wasn't he born England, in the U.S.? He's, he's English. Oh. Uh, I, th- uh, I, I thought he was born, born in English. English. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then again, I'm pretty – I'm personally convinced that the entire line-out throwing system – is proof that in the UK they don't know how to throw. So I guess it all comes full circle. I'm pretty sure you can football throw a line out better than overhead throw, but they just haven't figured that out yet. So nobody does it. it it's, yeah, so well, it's funny. Uh, I mean, if this mean, was the best way to throw, they would throw that way in the NFL. Like, you know, there's no nothing stopping Tom Brady from doing that. We, when we were, uh, when I was down in Houston, I realized that Europeans, they can't throw a football while on the run. You know, I, I saw a few of them, like, you know, make standing throws and bomb it down the field. But as soon as they try to run, their mechanics get all yeah, messed I'm up. And they, they toss it into the players, at least in New York Rugby Club, my, my club, 
the international guys, they don't throw things. They don't mm-hmm. overhand throw ever. It's just like a funny thing to see, but the <laughs> Americans don't kick. So there you have it. I can't throw a ball standing still. <laughs> hands, so I don't blame them for not being able to do it yeah, while moving. It's, all, it's the football f- football first culture, you know. Well, are you a forward? So you probably don't usually have to throw more than two feet at a time, you know. So no, no, I barely had to throw at all. I was, I was a, I was a lock and then a flanker. Like, come yeah. on, don't pass. <laughs> you know, well, I catch you, it. You, you run the <laughs> pods, you know. You, you, you pick and go. <laughs> Occasionally, yeah, have my yeah. moment of glory and then go sit in the sidelines for ten minutes, and catch my breath. Exactly. Sometimes I volunteer to throw the lineouts, but I demand to throw it football style. (laughs) So yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything in the rules against that. You just got to be straight. Maybe somebody told that. Maybe somebody should have told that to Vili Tolatahu. You know those. (laughs) I swear to God. Listen, I I I know that he's a really sweet guy, and he did so much better when they used him at second row and in flanker. But if Villy hadn't been playing hooker those few weeks, man, the Free Jacks might have actually been in the playoffs. I, I I truly feel like his play in the lineout, especially when they were in enemy territory, cost them so many chances at scoring that it was it was significant towards the end of the season because you know we we like the, the Free Jacks they that one game they dropped to Nola. Um, you know, at, at the end of the season is what took them out of the playoff race. One or two more victories on the season, and then we're right there with New York look, looking at that number two uh, seed. So I think yeah. the, the whole Eastern Conference was uh, millimeters. It was the, fir- the first team that adopts so the one-handed overhand football throw immediately shoots to first place next year. <laughs> well, is, that a, is that one of the new laws they're introducing? Or is that yours? You can do it now. It's, it's already within the law. No off does you have to throw it like a weird soccer ball. <laughs> there, there's one new law that that's going into effect next year that had it been an effect during the championship game might have had an effect for Atlanta. Do you guys know what it is? Not a play, no. It's when when so there's a new law that if you kick from behind your fifty from from behind oh, the fifty and it bounces ba- if it, if it bounces inbounds inside the twenty two and goes out, it's your lineup. Yeah, that's just being trial. I'm not sure. That's not. A, I'm not sure about that. Be adopted next year. Something. Yeah, or I mean, one of one of these rules to, to to bring up new rules. One of these rules is already damaging national sides. The whole kind of scrum reset thing. Yeah, could, dude, that's frustrating. Your scrums dude. were. So I'm lumping you in the the Canadian and American national team scrums were destroyed because they did not know how to scrum. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I think it was the championship. Maybe it was, it was at least one of these playoff games. I'm pretty sure it's JP Doyle. Just ignored that rule at one point. Like they 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 collapsed two times, and he was like, "No, we're just resetting again." And he just did it. It's like he's like, "No, I know the law. Just scrum again." <laughs> I know the law. I'm the ref. <laughs> it's probably probably for the best, to be honest. Unless world rugby, yeah. uh, you know, adopts. He was like, "No, this, this, the second one, the scrum never started, so it doesn't count." Uh, <laughs> it was like, "Well, it collapsed, so I don't know how it could never have started." But okay. Stop asking questions, Craig. <laughs> yeah. I like it though. I, I love JD right. Doyle. He's my he's my favorite MLR ref. Well, he was. Unfortunately, he's not next year. He's not coming back. <laughs> Don't think uh, so. No, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it really is. He's uh, a personality. Yeah, he's well, the MLR's Nigel Owens, which I think is hilarious. I, I, I'm rooting. For, I'm rooting for Cat Roach to to uh to to take a bigger role in the MLR officiating scene. Uh, oh, a great story. Heard- yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I I, uh, I knew her down in uh, Texas a little bit. I got introduced to her uh, during a um, 
during a West Houston Lions versus Dallas Reds game. And she 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 had a presence on the field, man. People were trying to talk shit to her, dude. She ran that game like a freaking pro. Yeah, and, she uh, did yeah, I, I, I was I was wicked glad to see uh you know her get to officiate a game this season. I think everybody was. Yeah. It was it was great to see. Yeah, she did great too. All right. Uh you guys right. have anything more to say on the MLR championship of 2021? No, it's been a good season. 20 weeks, uh having yeah, pod every week for 20 weeks. So uh no, good for you guys. <laughs> definitely, definitely weeks taken off there for all of us. Some more than <laughs> some more than others when they move across country and fall into a cave. Uh <laughs> all right. So thank you guys for in that case, I thank you guys for watching the Ear for the Dirt uh podcast. Um usually you can catch us every Wednesday night during the MLR season. Uh we're probably gonna take a take a couple weeks off. Um we'll have a show um, you know, probably ahead of the draft, you know. Somebody want anybody want to come join us? You know, drop us a line if we know you. We don't want any we don't want any ram, randos like physics reading there in the in the, in the public <laughs> comments. Well, I, but Benjamin Haswell, please let us know what the message is because I'm curious. <laughs> I'm I'm so curious. Uh, my name is Liam Poach. We got Craig Cadelli and James Dealey. Um, hope to see you guys again. Thank you for a great season. Please sponsor us. Uh, we we would really appreciate it. Oh, thank um, you so much for having me, guys. It's yeah, been uh, a pleasure. Games.